Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, my name's Stuart Miles and welcome to the Pocket Podcast. Nothing, the new brand that promises to deliver more than its namesake, has released its first product this week, the Nothing Ear one a pair of active noise cancelling earbuds with a transparent design so you can see what's inside but can carl pay the man who created oneplus and created nothing deliver a second time around pocket lint's cam bunton has been following the news and is here to tell us more meanwhile i've been talking to the global director of gaming partnerships at huawei to find out just how important gaming is to the company and whether we could see a dedicated gaming phone from them in the future and finally pocket editor chris hall has been driving the new mercedes eqa electric car what's it like to drive well stay tuned to find out more but first back to you cam nothing to see here or is that just a bad joke that we should be getting over a little bit of a bad joke, isn't it? I mean, mm. immediately, as soon as the company announced the name, you knew the jokes and the puns were all just going to come flooding in. And I and I think they'll continue for a while yet. But um, the, yeah, the, the, the concept of these new earbuds is actually quite interesting because they're, they're entering a market that's already very saturated, has been growing really quickly over the last few years. We've seen yeah. so many brands come out with new buds so they wanted to they had to do something a bit different and they did so um, it should be interesting to see how well they're adopted by normal people and that and that seems to be my first question obviously the earbud you know market was kind of it was there were lots of people dallying around in it then apple came out with the airpods you know the first airpods they you know took the world by storm everybody complained about their their uh, the polar design you know it was these white mm-hmm. things hanging from your ears and all the other stuff and yet three or four years later we've suddenly you know it feels like we're seeing an earbud launch every week almost yeah what what's nothing got that nobody else has that you know what what what's going to make them stand out from the crowd because surely a transparent design isn't going to be enough i think that from a looks perspective i think it's it's important to realize where they sit in terms of price they're a 99 pound pair of earphones and when you look at all the other sort of devices that are in that price category they're all kind of bland boring plastic things that mm. are generally white most of them will be airpod lookalikes so i think that the image and making them look different is actually quite important when you're looking at that side of the market um so making them transparent making them not look like anything else i think was a big part of the appeal and will be i think now this is Carpe's second company. His first, obviously, as I mentioned in the intro, OnePlus. Uh, that's done all right. <laughs> yeah, OnePlus haven't done bad. Um, yeah. So how do we, Is he? are they taking any tactics here? Is it, It's not like invite only or something crazy like that, is it? No, but you can sort of see the sort of um, the influence, the OnePlus style marketing and and stuff in in the run up to the launch, um, they did they did sort of like a limited drop on StockX, which is normally a site where you'll find uh, rare limited edition sneakers like Air Jordan ones in a specific color or collaboration. And so they dropped the first hundred serialized nothing buds uh, on on drop on StockX, sorry, 
and I think the the number one pair, the serial one out of fifty or whatever they had, sold for about a thousand dollars or something crazy. So they're sort of creating that exclusivity with the with the name and the branding and and trying to appeal to that kind of customer. Now, they've obviously started with earbuds. Are we likely to see other products? Are we like transparent over ear headphones, or is it just a headphones company? Is it is it going to be you know, will we no, see a it's... OnePlus phone, a nothing phone eventually? I mean, we could. I mean, what they've said all along is that they've set up the company because Carl Pei's long-term vision, what he said, is to have an ecosystem of devices that blends seamlessly into the background. And it's something we've probably heard multiple times from multiple different companies. Um, so it's very, it's not, um, it's not an earbuds company. Uh, it's it's a tech company, but they just started off with earbuds. I think it seemed like the best place for them to go because the market's growing so fast at the moment. It was a it was an interesting place to enter, but they did um, they bought out Essential. I don't know if you remember that company. Yeah. They released Essential Phone. The Essential Phone. Yeah, well, they've bought that company. Um, they own all the patents and everything that that company held. So there's no reason why they can't launch a smartphone at some point in the future. And the final question on the transparency, sometimes when we've seen things that are a bit more transparent or, you know, like Porsche always makes their, um, their disc brake colors like lime green and things like that to really stand out, don't they? Uh, have they done anything like this? Is there like some crazy colors or is it just a bit of green circuit board? No, it's not. I mean, it's it's all very, very minimal. So from the outside, um, you don't see the, the circuit board as such. It's only when you turn it onto the inside you see it. But all the little components are very neatly placed and they have to be because if they weren't precise, they would look kind of ugly. But um, no, there's nothing fancy like that. There's a very much a minimal approach to the design. They, they actually work together with a company called Teenage Engineering, who make these really sort of minimal white um, audio products like synthesizers and the like. So it's very much that sort of Scandinavian minimalist style rather than here, let me show you a bright, flashy brake disc approach. Still to come, Chris gives us his verdict on the Mercedes EQA electric car. And you can change these to be whatever you want, scrolling through the different elements, you know, and you've got lots and lots of options, lots of information. It's all very rich and looks fantastic. Alexandra Salem is the Global Director of Gaming Partnerships at smartphone maker Huawei. With some of the biggest games moving to mobile and the company keen to make flagship smartphones prime to play them, he's certainly got his work cut out. I recently caught up with him to see what the trends the company is seeing, how 5G has the potential to change the way we play, and whether the company will ever create a dedicated gaming phone for those that want more. I started by asking just how popular gaming on the Huawei app gallery actually is. So we launched uh, App Gallery, our Huawei App Store, three years ago out of China. And since then, we, we've observed and uh, experienced an exponential growth um, across genres and geographies. So we've, we have um, today a catalog of more than 20,000 games, uh, which are spanning a very wide spectrum of genres. So we, we offer games uh, from, you know, very hyper casual uh, genres such as Voodoo, uh, to casual with, for example, uh, the Playrix um, catalog, mm. to midcore, to uh, um, really more strategy, hardcore games. And uh, we've been able uh, over just three years to ramp up our efforts to become a top three uh, app store uh, to bring more innovation and uh, competition in uh, apps distribution. And presumably because of your job title, gaming is pretty important to Huawei. 
No, definitely. We are uh, the number one vertical in terms of revenue and downloads on the, the platform. And is that... <laughs> What studios are you working with? Is it kind of, is everybody on board? Yeah, so basically um, we've, uh, I mean, our value proposition uh, is to uh, bring games uh, for every uh, segment of players. Uh, so we tried hard to, to, to bring a diversified portfolio catalog of games to the platform. Um, and we, we have managed to attract, for example, uh, Playrix, which is one of the biggest gross booking generator historically uh, in terms of uh, games. Uh, this was like a, a very strong uh, uh, symbol of trust for a relatively new platform mm. uh, like ours. Uh, and, you know, gaming is a very mimetic um, uh, kind of vertical where a lot of developers and publishers look at uh, the top of the rankings and they try to mimic every single move by the likes of uh, King or Playrix. And uh, after we, we managed to convince um, leading developers such as uh, Gameloft or Playrix or uh, Wargaming to join uh, App Gallery, we've seen like a, a very strong kind of momentum. And we've been contacted um, in the last uh, 12 months by dozens of major developers who want to be part of the game because they realize also that uh, they have suffered from a lack of competition in apps distribution uh, in the last uh, 12, 13 years uh, because it was basically concentrated within a, a monopoly. Mm. And what we are offering, similar to other third-party stores, is basically more competition. Um, and I think everyone understands it's, it's in the best interest of developers but also users, uh, gamers. And you talk about... Games, there, you know, certain popular games and things like that. Are there? What are the what are the key trends that you're seeing in in mobile gaming at the moment? So one key trend that I I am observing is definitely uh, the emergence of five uh, G. Um, on the devices side, um, we we see more and more models um, which are called five G ready, being that there is a technology within the device to to run on five G uh, networks. Mm -hmm. uh, on the other side, we we have dozens of countries which have now five G um, networks infrastructure. So this means uh, very concretely for a gamer. Uh, that you can have access to uh, better, uh, richer, more immersive gaming experiences. You can stream more quickly. So it means that also watching esports um, videos is becoming a, a better experience. And you also have like less of uh, lag um, in terms of uh, gaming, so less latency, which means that the gaming experience becomes uh, overall much better. Um, another um, trend that I am observing with a lot of attention and interest is also the fact that we are going from actually a siloed uh, industry where basically developers were uh, de delivering games for a given platform, uh, mobile or console or PC, and we are going from that siloed world into a world where basically developers um, generate a holistic experience as frictionless as possible across devices. Uh, the best example for me is Fortnite. You can start uh, playing you know, while commuting in the tube and you arrive home, uh, you continue playing on your PC or your console or your, or your tablet. And this, this changes completely the way of interacting with games. And last, last but not least, I think uh, an, in an interesting uh, trend that I, I also love uh, observing is uh, how gaming is nowadays much more than the simple interaction between a player and a game. Um, we, I mean, 
we, we tend to think of uh, games uh, of gaming as just uh, this experience of playing a game. But uh, nowadays, uh, the market, the ecosystem of gaming is way larger. For example, we've seen like uh, dozens of uh, very successful in-game concerts in the last few years. For example, in Roblox or Minecraft, we see people taking meetings from <laughs> from uh, uh, the, the games they, they love. Uh, I have a few colleagues who attend meetings from within Fortnite. Wow. Uh, <laughs> Brings a whole uh, new world to the, uh, the, the the weekly sort of sales reports, doesn't it? Absolutely. <laughs> uh, venture capitalists tend to be uh, fans of this kind of um, morphing of gaming and meeting. Uh, we also see, of course, an emergence of um, gaming-related videos. So uh, on YouTube, for example, 20% of watch time um, stems from gaming content. Um, and you, you even have like some of the, you know, of the grammar, some of the... Uh, the features of gaming which are replicated within other forms of entertainment. Um, I am thinking, for example, of TV and cinema, which are leveraging more and more the franchises coming from the gaming world. But even more interestingly, uh, you have uh, Black Mirror, the TV show of Netflix, mm. which um, allowed in one of their episodes um, the viewer to, to make choices which have uh, ramifications on the rest of the scenario of the movie. And this is like a, a pure feature of gaming where you have this kind of interactive uh, relationship between the player and the content which is being used. And so you talked there, one of your first things was saying, obviously, the rise of 5G and, you know, Qualcomm and others are telling us that 5G is here, it's now, and and, and, and you can start to see that with, with the devices and that are coming out. Certainly, you know, it used to be flagships and now it's kind of, you know, an everyman phones as well. Do you feel that developers are, you know, are already taking advantage of that new capability or do you think that's still to come? So I think there is one uh, platform where 5G is already completely um, taken into account and uh, really central. It is uh, cloud gaming. I, I personally believe that uh, cloud gaming might be the equivalent of the iPhone moment in 2007, meaning the, the creation of a new platform which will uh, make affordability and accessibility of games much larger. And uh, 5G basically is one of the key drivers to make cloud gaming possible. Um, for the audience who are not familiar um, with the, uh, cloud gaming, cloud gaming you can think of it as a kind of Netflix for games, meaning mm. you you pay typically you know a monthly subscription, and you have suddenly access to a huge catalog of games that you can try and play without having to to buy every single time a new a new title. And one of the requirements for this to work properly in terms of uh, bandwidth and in terms of uh, uh, lag and, and latency is to have um, like uh, 5G networks which are operating with 5G uh, devices yeah. and developers ha are developing basically on the premise that 5G is going to be rolled out uh, in the next few months so this is a, a platform where basically 5G is not only considered it's uh, like a sine qua non condition for the success of the, of the platform itself. Now, a lot of the app stores, you know, from iOS or, or Google Play or whatever, have been kind of reticent to to allow cloud gaming services to kind of roll out on, on their platforms for fear of losing control and, and, and things like that. Do you think something we, you know, would we ever see Xbox Games Pass on, on the Huawei app gallery, for example? Uh, listen, I think what characterizes App Gallery is that we are always willing to listen to the feedback of the community of players and developers. 
Um, so we are still in very early days of um, cloud gaming. There are so many uncertainties. We've seen some of our competitors uh, launching offerings which have had like mixed uh, reviews. Um, so our position is to wait and see uh, and to, to identify the needs of the gaming ecosystem. And we will not hesitate to be very proactive uh, to, to make basically the, the best uh, technological offer to, to bring the best of the gaming experience to our players and developers. Now, a lot of people, obviously, as you say, play games on their phone. It's a big business. People with 5G and cloud gaming, that's only except to uh, expand and and. and and grow further some mobile some mobile phone manufacturers have started launching dedicated gaming handsets to to try and fuel that excitement from gamers do you think we'd ever see a, a dedicated gaming handset from uh, from huawei so it's not uh, currently uh, part of our plans, uh, but uh, as I said, um, our product team is always uh, extremely enthusiastic about um, you know identifying new trends and um, satisfying the needs of the, the gamers community specifically. Uh, we know that gamers tend to be really at the forefront of innovation and uh, they are they have an appetite for excellent top-notch uh, hardware. So mm. if, if we see that um, there is a gap in the market, we will not hesitate to fill it, but right now it's not part of our plans. And where do you think, you know, if we had this conversation in a year's time, where where do you think you would be in terms of, you know, gaming on on, on the app gallery and, and, and gaming on mobile in general? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think um, definitely one of the key learnings from COVID-19 and the lockdown measures which have been taken by a lot of governments as a result of the global pandemic is that, uh, you know, over the last 18 months, uh, we've seen an acceleration uh, of uh, gaming becoming the most uh, mainstream form of entertainment. Um, basically, we, we see this market is becoming absolutely huge, $175 billion. It's a double of uh, the sum of uh, movie and music put together. Uh, so by far the biggest uh, form of entertainment. Uh, in terms of engagement as well, people spend much more time um, playing games and uh, try much more games. And uh, also something I want to insist on, is that it's much more accepted nowadays to play games in terms of like social acceptability and perception. Uh, we've seen, for example, the WHO, the World Health Organization, uh, going from you know uh, describing gaming as an addictive behavior a few years ago to the WHO, so the same organization recommending you know people uh, to play games last year uh, while they were uh, in lockdown. Uh, and I think this comes from the fact that we've realized that gaming can really enhance cognitive uh, behaviors and uh, capabilities. We've also realized during the lockdown that gaming can bring people together and they can still socialize, but in a virtual way uh, while staying safe at home. And finally, gaming can be a very uh, positive experience, which allows us to entertain ourselves and to forget the sad reality of the, the pandemic. So I think uh, thinking about like next year, I think we are going to, to see uh, this, the continuation of uh, gaming becoming more and more large. We've already spoken about uh, the size of the market and the, the size of the audience. We, we have currently two. 2.8 billion players, but I believe there is much more uh, untapped potential for the growth of the industry. 
Um, we, we've discussed uh, the improvement in terms of connectivity and devices, but there is also like more fundamental macroeconomic factors, like the fact that in developing countries, you see more and more um, uh, middle class having disposable income to spend on gaming. And we also, you know, uh, we are seeing also the new kind of business models like subscription and cloud gaming, which, which will make uh, access to gaming even more positive. So I think the future is very bright for anyone in gaming and specifically in mobile gaming. The Mercedes EQ family first delivered at the premium end with the Mercedes EQC, broadly aligning with the GLC, while smaller model, the EQA, lines up against the GLA. Still with us? Good. Statistically, these cars all share a lot in common, from the exterior to the interior, with the EQA in one of the most competitive segments of the car market, with several notable electric rivals. So, can Mercedes EQA hold its own? The good news is, is that Pocalin editor Chris Hall has been driving one to find out and is here to tell us more. So, Mr. Hall, how's it been going? Well, the first thing to say is if you're a fan of the GLA, you'll probably be a fan of the EQA and the way that they look because they're very similar from the exterior. There's a couple of changes around the front and around the back so that you can glance at it and say, oh, yeah, this is uh, the electric version, the classic filling in the grill at the front. Mercedes seems to be trying to establish a new sort of style for its electric cars without going the whole hog and saying, right, we're going to do this on a brand new scale with which right. with looks that you've never seen before so it's very familiar and that familiarity continues when you get inside because the inside of this car is essentially exactly the same as the regular version the the, uh, the gla that's a good thing because the gla has a great interior so this is an electric car with a a high quality interior now it's not quite the best that mercedes do because obviously mercedes in their electric and in, in their luxury cars go all the way up to spectacular in the interior mm. and it's obvious that the eqa is designed more as a family car so the bottoms of the door panels are plastic for example so they're much easier to clean you won't mind that you have your kids in the back kicking parts of it because they're not going to be scuffing up the leather because it's plastic instead yeah. but with that said the layout the look of it you know it all comes together very nicely and the thing that really stood out to me is the quality of the the screens that you have inside, the, the resolution, the quality of the graphics and the user interface in general. It's a lot more sophisticated than many of the other cars out there on the market. So this is really what you're paying for. And to give you a couple of little examples of what you can do with it, there are two displays. They look like one long bar that's stretching around from behind the steering wheel around into the center of the car. And... You know, in, in classic style, you have the center display and you have the driver's display, and each of these is customizable. I really like the way that they've done this because there are these little uh, little controllers that you get on the steering wheel, and they remind me of the BlackBerry optical navigator that you used to get mm. on BlackBerry's like however many years ago it was, five, ten years ago. Oh, nice. But they mean that you can move up and down and around and click to select things. So there are basically three sections of the driver display, you know, your classic two dials and a, and a center panel. And you can change these to be whatever you want, scrolling through the different elements, you know, and you've got lots and lots of options, lots of information. It's all very rich and looks fantastic. So that's the thing that really stood out to me. And from a driving perspective, how's it compared to, I mean, you, you've driven quite a lot of electric cars now. How, how does it compare on, on that experience? Yeah, so that's where the experience changes slightly because it has a, let's start it ha start with the battery, it has a 66.5 kilowatt hour battery and that's not the biggest, especially when you compare that to the 
£45,000 price that you might be looking at. So mm. you don't get a lot of battery for your money, but then I could only get about 3.5 miles per kilowatt hour out of it, which means that it's not hugely efficient either. So you'll get, you know, you'll get decent range. You might get 250 miles out of it if you're working hard to, to make it as efficient as possible. But there are a number of cars that are this size that will go further for less money. And that's not a great formula when people are worried about how far they're going to be able to get in their car. So I think the real takeaway here is that if you want a Mercedes, if you want something that has the quality and the interior that makes it a little bit more luxury, then the EQA is a great car to go for. But if you want the best range for your money, then you might find that from some rivals. And in terms of uh, overall, I mean, that's would you would you recommend this, or would, is there something on the market you think that offers you know better bang for buck or better luxury for buck compared to the Merc? Well, in the luxury stakes, there aren't a huge there aren't a huge number of competitors at the moment. There's the, um, I mean, BMW and Audi have similar size cars, and and you may you know want to choose your preference between which you think has the best interior. There are models like the ID4, slightly larger, slightly cheaper, slightly better range, but not quite as sophisticated once you get onto the inside. So, it's very much a case, as always, of trying it out, seeing what you fancy and what you really need. Because for some people, they might want the luxury and the sophistication of that interior and that better interaction with the displays and everything else. And they may say, well, the range is absolutely fine to me. This is fine. The the one exception that I would put on all of this is that um, if you haven't looked at the Hyundai Ionic 5, which is their new model, brand new, it's only just coming out. This is a real change of direction for Hyundai. So no matter what you think of Hyundai cars and whether you've looked at the brand in the past, if you're thinking about getting a sort of crossover, small SUV style electric car, then you certainly should look at the Ionic 5. That's it for this week's show. Thanks for listening. Until next time, pip pip. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.